I wanna, I wanna, I wanna start off uh, by way of introduction, just to, just to ask a question real fast. I, I, I was really surprised that the youth didn't know this, but that, they asked the question, who knows what a nuclear winter is? Right? Raise your hand if you know what a nuclear winter is. Yeah, a little bit older, so you guys know what a nuclear winter is, right? But if, if, if you don't know what a nuclear winter is, let me, let me, let me share that with you, okay? Nuclear winter is when you, you, you let off enough nuclear bombs where it begins to, the plume and the clouds begin to cover the whole earth and it blocks out the sun, therefore destroying all life on earth. And then the nuclear fallout that results from that is the nuclear radiation that comes out of that, right? And I, I asked that question because um, uh, one of the things that I think we, we, don't, we don't think about often is just the signs of the time or just the... Uh, the urgency of what we see in the world around us. What I mean by that, you know, we've been watching the news, and I'm not a doomsday activist or anything like that, guys, but what, I, what I'm saying here is I want you guys to think about this because as these things are happening around us, these are things that we need to recognize as an urgent part to our life, you know? Do you know how many nuclear bombs you need to make a, uh, for a nuclear winter to happen? Around 12, right? Do you know the combined arsenal of America and Russia? You know how many do we have? Thousands, right? We can blow up our world 20 times over. That's how crazy it is, right? And then three, two weeks ago, I think Russia said, we're gonna, I'm going to activate our, our nuclear arsenal, just put it on standby, you know? And I think, like, people are like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, like, they're going to do. And, and, and you know one of the reasons why, you know, in terms of why we haven't sent things over there to them is because we're afraid of this triggering of this, right? the triggering of the potentiality of this, Right? We don't want to push people to the corner so much that things like that happen. But I'm not here to talk about the politics of it, but I'm here to talk about as you begin to see this, as you begin to hear this in the news, let me share with you a verse from the Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. This is what it says about the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Right? I'm not saying it's going to happen this past next month or this year or whatnot. I'm not saying that this is what's going to trigger it. But what I'm saying is that when you begin to see stuff like this, the stuff that should be stirring in your heart as a believer is this recognition, hey, there's an urgency behind this. I should be asking the question about my life and what am I doing with it. Because tomorrow is not promised to you. The Bible says that to the day when God comes, people will be laughing, they'll be drinking, they'll be giving themselves into marriage, and then the, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And the question that you have to ask yourself is that when he comes, are you ready? Do you really know him? Is there a real relationship that you are exercising with him? Is there an urgency in your life not to waste what God has given to you to extend out like your personal need for pleasure or joy or accomplishments, but to actually ask the question, am I living this life in honor of the kingdom of God? Am I faithful to his call? See, when these things begin to happen, I know we live in America, so we don't feel the heaviness of it as much. All we feel is the, 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 the cost of the gas, you know, and I'm, not, I'm sure of us are already complaining about that, right? But imagine living in a place like Ukraine. Imagine being in Poland. Imagine being in the Baltic areas where these refugees are coming in. They're facing real displacement. 
They're facing real tragedy. Families separated. Children eventually will become orphans, fatherless. Mothers will become widows. In these age and in this time, the real question you have to ask is, are you living out the Christian life that God has for you, or will he find you laughing, drinking, giving yourself into marriage, and being lost? Is there an urgency in your heart? We talked about for the past beginning of the year, eight weeks, about character. Where if you really want to see your character reflect Christ, what needs to happen is the spiritual disciplines has to be a part of your life. It has to be ingrained. The truth has to be taken deep into you. We capped that off with our retreat, asking, what's the next step? So here it is. You know it. You understand this. You have enough word of God to kind of move you for the rest of your life. What are you going to do about it? What's your next step? Where is God leading you? Last week, I shared with you your calling. Because it's not just about knowing these things, but what is it that God is calling you specifically? It's not necessary that you have to do things within the church and be a service in the church and do random stuff here, but that God has uniquely, distinctly created you in his form, in his artistry, to do something that's going to answer the call that he has for your life. Have you answered that call? Have you discovered your call? And the thing I want to ask you today is very simple. If this is real and tomorrow is not promised to you, are you living an authentic Christian life? What does the authentic Christian life look like day to day? Real Christianity played out in your work, in your school, in your church, in your homes. And these are not just words that you can, you know, kind of tickle your ears and kind of fancy. That was pretty nice. But these are words for you to take with soberness and ask the question, what am I doing? What are we doing with our life as a family? What am I doing as my life as a single person? What am I preparing for as a college uh, grad for the kingdom of God? Is there urgency in my heart? Today I want to share with you about the authentic Christian life. And I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. It's not marked by success, okay? It's not. So if you think that the authentic Christian life is marked by success, you might be wrong, okay? Maybe God's blessed a few of you guys for success, but it's not the trend. The mark of an authentic Christian life is faithfulness. If success is in the midst of that, okay. But the real question you ask is, I'm not going to search for success. I'm, look, I'm searching for faithfulness, Am I being faithful in my Christian life? Am I being faithful in my walk with the Lord? Am I being faithful in my witness, in expanding God's kingdom, in my call that God has given to me? And I know a lot of us, we think that the explosion of the Christian mission, what changed the world. You know, and I know a lot of you guys love to change the world. A lot of you Gen Zers want to change the world. You know, you guys want to make everything a very peaceful place. But you know what, what actually did that? What actually created change the world? Was the first century missionaries. What did they do? They went out. They lived their faith authentically, beautifully. And it changed a country. It changed a nation. And it changed the world around them. 
It changed the way people saw each other. It changed the way people act towards each other. It changed the way they dealt with things. It changed the way the whole entire system worked. It turned everything upside down. That's real change. But we, we got it backwards nowadays, and we think that real change can be created by our own personal abilities and strength and smarts. That you think you can change? You think that by creating globalism and creating peace around the world that people's going to happen? You can't do that. You know why? Globalism is a God problem. The only answer to that is, is, is a God. The reason why we can't bring peace to the rest of the world is because there is sin. People are going to naturally bend towards their own selfishness, self-want, self-desires. Right? The, the, the thing over in Russia is, is a great example of that. There's no reason. No, nothing was provoked. But that was done because why? Sense of power, need. And if there is no God to step in there and say this is wrong, who's to say Russia is wrong? Who's to say that these things are wrong? How do you live the authentic Christian life? You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be successful. You got to be faithful. You don't have to be a Paul who spread the gospel to the ends of the Western world. You don't have to be Barnabas, the greatest encouragement. If it wasn't for Barnabas, Paul would never have been around. You don't have to be Peter, the leader of the first church. You don't have to be John, the lover of Christ. What you need to be is faithful. Everybody say faithful. You got to be faithful, church. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I'm going to share with you a church, a church that was faithful. And here's the crazy thing about this church. Nobody knows anybody in this church. We don't know any members of this church. They were just referred to them as them. There, were, there was no, like, highlight stories. There were no, like, great leaders. There were no, nobody in that church even wrote a, a, a passage in the New Testament. But that church was faithful. And that church literally changed the world because they lived their life out authentically. They lived their Christian faith out authentically. I want to share with you this church and hopefully get you guys to think about this. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. <clears throat> All right, listen now. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Let me say that again. The Lord's hand was with who? Them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to the Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the church, the church of Antioch. Let me tell you why this church is so significant. Let me tell you why this church, although none of the main members of this church was known. The only way we're going to know anyone in this church is later on when we meet them in heaven and we're going to find out who, who ran this church, right? We don't know anybody about this church. They were just referred to as them. But let me tell you why they were so significant. First, 
It was the first church plant among Gentiles. It was the first church plant among Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. If you're, anybody here Jew? Then you are a Gentile, right? It was the first church plant among Gentiles. The genesis of the Christian movement among the Gentile world happened at this church. This church, right, all of us can trace our faith back to this church in Antioch. Do you know why? Right? This church was the first church plant. So unless any of you guys are a Jew, right, if you're a Gentile, your spiritual legacy, your spiritual legacy, the genesis of your legacy started in Antioch. The first Gentile church plant. You know why also this church was very significant? It was the first place the disciples were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Right? That's kind of weird. Right? We, we, we kind of tend around to do that. But, you know, back then they didn't call themselves Christians. They it's kind of weird. Like if you walk, if, I wouldn't call myself human. Right? I would say, hey, what's up, Peter? My name is Tony. I'm human. Right? What's going on, man? I'm Tony, human. Right? You would think, what's wrong with him? Right? They didn't walk around and say, hey, Tony, Christian. No. There was something unique, beautiful, distinct, wonderful about the way they lived their life and the way they devoted their life to this teaching and the way they transformed and how separate, how distinct and unique they were, how the fragrance and the melody of their life was so beautiful that the church, the people around them were like, who are these guys? What is this group? What is this weird, you know, group that gathers all the time? People were like, they're the Jesus followers. Those are the, the, the Christians. We call them Christians. They follow after Jesus. It was the first place that the word Christian was mentioned. Not by themselves, but by the people around them. You know what else is very significant about this church in Antioch? It was the first church that sent out missionary on purpose. Later on, Acts chapter 13, if you keep reading, what you will see is that this is the church that commissioned Barnabas and Paul to go off into the mission field to the Gentile world. If it wasn't for this church to come together to bless and commission Paul and Barnabas, you would not be here. It was the first church that did this. Wait, wait, PT, didn't, didn't people come to this church? Weren't, people, weren't missionaries sent to this church? No. The people who came to this church, they got here because why? They were scattered because of the persecution. They, just, they were refugees. They just showed up to Antioch. Like, okay, I'm here. They weren't missionaries. Life took them there. But this church was the first church that said, we've gathered together. The Lord Christ is our Savior and he's our Lord. This is the mission of his kingdom that we're called to do. We're going to commission you, Paul. We're going to commission you, Barnabas. Go. Go. And spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. The church understood their mission and they carried it out. This is a very significant church. And I want to share with you four marks of this church. Four things about this church that made them authentic. And I pray that as you are listening to these characteristics, that you don't just let it pass through your ears, but that you will hold on to them. That you would saturate your heart with these words. That you would actually live it out. Because there's no point in talking about all these character change and all these next steps you got to do if there's actually no action behind it. What are the marks? What are the marks of authentic Christianity? You don't have to be like Paul. You don't have to be like Peter. You don't have to be famous like Barnabas 
or John. You just got to be like one of them. First Mark, verse 19. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. The first mark of this church was that they took God's mission personally. Everybody say personally. They took God's mission personally. Why did they begin to choose this movement in Antioch? Was it because they kind of like, oh, they, 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 they showed up and they kind of checked out the scenes, like, oh, this group needs this, and they, they, felt, the, they looked at, felt needs here, they looked at the demographics, like, you know, this group is, you know, more here, so we got to focus here and do all these. Did they do that? No. Why did the church happen at Antioch? Because, right, not because the, they understood the area and wanted to reach out to these people. The church started here because life took them there. They were persecuted in Jerusalem, and then life brought them here as refugees to the city of Antioch. And while they were in the city of Antioch, they took their mission personally. They didn't say, oh, my, woe to me, I'm a refugee. I'm the victim, take care of me. They knew they had to run. They knew they had to get away. They knew that they wanted to be killed. But here they are, they're in Antioch, and the first reflex of their life wasn't to say, feed me, take care of me, find me some things, or I got to take care of this. Their first reflex, the Bible says, was to share the message of Jesus Christ. They took their mission personally. See, when we think about mission, we think about far-off places, right? Exotic places. China, Himalayas, South America, right? Name a city, name a country, right? Anywhere besides America, right? Antioch was where life took them. But it was exactly where God planned them to be. You guys realize that? Where does God have you? Where does God have you? Where is God take, where is life taking you? You are placed where you are placed specifically for those around you. Since the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the Jesus Christ has died for those whom he loved, he has called them by name. Do you recognize that your neighbors, how many of you guys know your neighbor's names, by the way, right? That's an issue. If you don't know your neighbor's name, that's an issue, right? Here's the thing. Since the, found, since the foundation of the earth, God has known those who he's going to save. He has called them. And here you are, placed strategically in this place so that he would call them home. And yet you can't even figure out the name of your neighbor. He has strategically placed you in your workplace. Not so that you can just be nice and be good and be fragrant and be like, ooh, look at me, right? But so that the mission that he has for you will be continued wherever you set your foot. You are called to take this mission personally, not to wait for the whole church to come up with a program. So, oh, now the church has a program. Reach out to your neighbors. We should all do that now. That should be the instinct and the reflex of your life. Are you taking God's mission personally at your job, with your friends, even at your home? Is this a personal thing for you? Do you recognize 
This is what God has called you to do? His mission? And I know you guys are thinking, like, I don't know, man, like, there's so many different people, I don't know how to talk to them, I don't know how to engage in this. How do I take this mission personally? You know who they are. Everyone needs the message of Jesus Christ. You talk to a boomer. What better message to a boomer than to tell them what is true? Right? They're all black and white anyways. They're like, this is it, this is not, right? You know all those old people you talk to, right? One way or the other. You know, what better message? It's like, hey, it's either heaven, hell, Jesus, or Satan. You pick. You're a sinner. You're not a saint. You need salvation. What better message to speak to a boomer? Is if you work with one. Does the rhythm of your heart, as you step foot into that place, think to yourself, I'm going to reach out to this person. I'm going to speak Christ to them. What about an Xer? Xer. That's about me, about some of y'all, right? I'm like the, end, the back end of Xers, right? X is all about what's real. What's more real? What's more raw than the message of a God who's willing to come close to his people? A God that's not far away. A God who recognizes that the only way to save humanity is to become humanity. That he would give his life to bring people home. Because they themselves cannot pay the debt that they owe. He had to do it for themselves. What is more real? What is more beautiful? What is more, what is more uh, raw than that? You've talked to a millennial. They're all about goodness, right? I want to do good for this world. What is more good than the message of saying what? Jesus Christ died whether you're privileged or not privileged. Jesus Christ died whether you are high class or low class, rich or poor. You are all in the same place before the eyes of God, sinner in need of salvation. In the eyes of God, you are all equal. You want goodness? You want equality? You have the gospel. It sets everyone on the same level. How do you talk to a, a Zer, Gen Zer, right? They're all about beauty. What is more beautiful than the mission of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth? When God commissions and sends out and transforms the life of his sons and his daughters to bring what? To bring peace, to bring good news, to bring Eden, to bring his kingdom to the far ends of the earth. What is more beautiful than that of a message? That is the rhythm of the Christian life. To take it personally and to go out and do it. My question is, do you have that characteristic? Do you know why the, the church of Antioch was so beautiful and yet no one knows their name? Because they took their mission personally. They didn't just wait for groups of people to kind of gather together and do it. They lived it. They lived it in their homes. They lived it in their church. They lived it in their, their workplace. They lived it in their schools. They lived it in their common areas. They lived it out with their friends. It was part of the rhythm of their life. But here's the second thing. Here's the second mark for authentic Christianity. Look at verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that they began speaking about the Lord Jesus. What do you think speaking is? It's just a conversation. There's nothing unique, special. It's just they're talking about Jesus. 
in their everyday conversation. The second mark is this, they had gospel conversation. Their conversation was marked by gospel-centeredness. They understood their mission. They took it personally. Wherever they went, their mindset was triggered and rhythm, and their mind was like, yes, I will in this place. God, you have sent me here. Let me do what I need to do. Father, empower me, strengthen me as I go about doing this. But what they spoke was the gospel message. I know some of us, we have this kind of mentality, right? I think there's this quote going around the world saying, like, um, I'm not sure it's from him exactly, from Francis of Assisi, right? Homeboy said, uh, preach the gospel, but when able, use words, right? You guys ever heard that quote? Preach the gospel, but if able, use words. As if the, uh, with, with the intention of saying, sometimes preaching of the gospel means you just live it out for them, which is true, which is true. But sometimes we just stop there. We think that somehow our, our gospel melody of our lives is fragrant enough for them to be like, ooh, Jesus Christ. No, I get it. You build relationship, you come alongside, you work in the outreaches, you help the poor, you lift up the needy, you take care of those around you. All those things is to build relationship equity so that you can preach the gospel, that you speak the gospel. Faith does not come from feeling that the gospel is around you. It does not work by osmosis here. Faith comes from the preaching of the gospel, the message that we are sinners before God. That, is, that, we, that we are constantly searching and chasing after things to fulfill our hearts, but all those things leave us lost and dead. If not for the grace of Jesus Christ himself, we would die in our sins. But blessed be the Lord who came and gave us life by dying on the cross for our sins. You're called to preach the gospel wherever you go. Not just to live, the ex not to live out the expression of it. The expression of it draws people in. The expression of it is the melody that gets people intrigued. The expression of it is what builds relationship equity. But if in your relationship you're not actually speaking his name, you're not preaching the gospel. The mark of authentic Christianity is that the sons and daughters of God speaks of the name of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wherever they go, in their conversations. We get so caught up sometimes just doing good works, don't we? We get excited when church puts on a program to help the poor. We get excited when we church put on, put on a program to outreach we get excited when church does these things. And those are things that church should do. Those are things in which we express our faith. But ultimately, we're not here just to do good works. There's a lot of organization that does good works. We're here to give a message that can save lives. And the message is the message of Jesus Christ. They had gospel conversations wherever they went. When was the last time you offered a gospel conversation? How much equity do you have to build with somebody to say, hey, I want to share with you about Jesus? How much equity do you have to build with somebody to tell them, hey, you know what, I, um, I think we've been friends long enough. I think I can share with you what's really important in my heart. Is that cool? How much equity do you have to build? How long do you have to build? Some of us, we extend it forever, not because we're trying to build a relationship. It's because 
but because we're trying to make the excuse of why we can't do it. And so we just say, I'm just trying to build more relationships. The mark of authentic Christians, the mark of this church that made it so powerful was that one, right? It was a church that took their mission personally. Everyone in that church, single individuals, understood their mission and they took it personally. But two, they had gospel conversations wherever they went. Not just the people they like. Remember, look, look here. It says what? They spoke to the Greeks also. The Jews spoke to the Greeks. Back then, Jews and Greeks, they cannot talk to each other. It was almost a sin to do that. They didn't just talk to people they liked. They talked to everyone, different people, colleagues, friends. They didn't just talk to people that they get along with, people that look like them, act like them. They talked to everyone. The kingdom of God is for everyone, not just for a select few. Don't go around looking in your workplace. I'm like, that person looks gentle enough. Maybe I should preach the gospel to them. You know, don't we do that? We try to look for the, like, the nicest person that's not going to hurt us in return. And we kind of like, oh, let me share the gospel with you. Because I feel like if you're going to get mad, you won't really get that mad at me. Right? How weird is that? When the, when the church themselves, they went outside of their very own comfort and barriers culturally to speak the gospel. But here's the third thing. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. What is the mark of authentic Christianity? Something that you guys need to really think about. They took their mission personally. They had gospel conversation. But here's a very important one. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by, some of you guys think, I get it, PT, I'm, about, I'm all about that mission life. This is my jam. I'm all about doing that. I get it, PT, I will preach the gospel. I know the gospel. But let me tell you something. You can't do anything without the power of the Spirit. You cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit first moving in you to move in them. You are powerless. If you go about this thinking that I can do this with my brain, my own intellect, you know what you're doing? You're going by the flesh. You're going by your own skills, your own abilities, your own mindset. But if you go empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are going with the hand of God. And let me tell you, five minutes in the presence of God is enough work for 50 years of man trying. Five minutes encountering the holy presence of God is enough is more than enough if you, then you take 50 years of you trying to do the exact same thing. You want revival to happen in your homes? You want it to begin to happen in your church? You want it to begin to happen in your workplace? You have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? From Genesis to Revelation, every time the phrase, the hand of the Lord was on them. The spirit of the Lord was upon them. It represents God's power in their life. I read a story in, in, in the Devo we did for the Sunday uh, uh, group, Sunday service group. And one of, the, one of the story was about the revival in South America, in Argentina. Right? A bunch of young college groups got together in, 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 this, in this room. And all they did for hours on end was they cried out for their nation. They cried out for their people. 
and they would not stop. They would not stop until the power of God came. And they cried and they cried for days until finally the word of God came to them and says, weep no more, for Argentina is yours. And it started the greatest revival in South America. The biggest revival in Seoul, Korea, it happened in the college campuses with the director of the campus ministry for Christ over there. He got all the staff together. And he says, I want you guys to pray for the revival of these college campuses. You know what he, did, he told them to do? He said, tie yourself to a tree. And do not leave that tree until the Lord gives you his word and his power to go down and bring this revival. And that's what they did. I don't know why they did it. Maybe it was like just a sign of faith. Right? It's kind of crazy reading it. But they did. They tied themselves to the tree and they just cried out to God. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed until the peace of the Lord and the power of God fell upon them and they went down and it marked the greatest revolution and revival in South Korea's history. Do you know why there was a time when South Korea was the second highest missionary sending country in the world, second only to America? Do you know why? Because of that revival right there. You want to be a people that empowers that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, you want, to, you want to make changes in the world around you, you got to move by the power of the Spirit. I know your question is asking, how do I do that? I just told you. I know it's anticlimactic, but the answer is very simple. You have to. You got to pray. You got to pray. There has to be an anguish in your heart for your family. There has to be an anguish in your heart for your church. There has to be an anguish in your heart for your people. There has to be an anguish that you will not stop until God answers. But I know some of you guys are thinking, PT, I can't pray that long, man. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, right? After a while, it just becomes rambles, right? No doubt. Me too, okay? But I'm going to teach you right now, real fast. I'm going to teach you how to pray where it can be infinite. And you always have something to pray. You get me? I'm, I'm going to show you right here. How to do this. Go back to verse 19. Pop it up real fast. It's called praying the Bible. It's very simple. You read a verse and you pray the verse. I'll give you an example. Now, those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews, word only among the Jews. You read it. God's word is speaking to you. Prayer is a conversation. If you are one of those people that can only talk in a conversation, God bless you, right? But if you're going to have a real relationship with your father, he has to speak to you and you have to return the conversation. So he, saw, he said, now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out with Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me that in the midst of suffering, Lord, I have forgotten you. When COVID hit and things got a little wild and my suffering came in, instead of walking and living to spread your word among those around me, I chose to sit in my room, hide under my covers, and not know your name for a year. Oh God, that suffering would come in my life more and more, that I would know you deeper and deeper, that would I understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a prayer. Second verse. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that you would not shut my lips to pray these prayers, to speak this truth. You have given me the good news of my Lord Jesus Christ, and wherever I have been, Lord God, give me the strength to speak this message. Not for my glory, but for yours. Not for my desire, but for your kingdom come. Let me be like the men of old, O Lord, the saints of old, who spoke this message to everyone who went across barriers, went across culture, and feared nothing, but desire only to speak your name. That's a prayer. So PT, I know you have a lot more words. It's all right. If it's two verses, you can pray this prayer. How many verses are in the Bible? Lots. You can go on forever. If you got one prayer for each verse, you get one prayer for each verse. But until you pray, until you get on your knees and you pray, the mission you do, the work you do would be powerless. It will have no effect. Why? Because it's done by the hands of men. It is done by the flesh. But when you begin to pray, when you begin to beseech your God, when you begin to get on your knees and you cry out for his spirit and his power, five minutes in his presence has enough power to change the world. Isn't it funny that when the apostles were, 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 were confronted with outreaches to do in, the, in, in Acts chapter 6 or 8, right? When they said, like, people were complaining, hey, Peter, our widows aren't having enough food. Peter was like, mm, look, ain't about that life, right? Give me six deacons or 12 deacons, they'll take care of it. They'll do the serving. We cannot neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer. It is both that is necessary for the power of God's movement to happen within the church. Sometimes we're all about, I just want to know the word. Just give me enough information. You have enough information. What you need is power. What you need is God's presence walking alongside you. What you need is the experience of the reality of your living God who is going to move you and use you to give you boldness and power, to give you words when you do not have words to say. You cannot clip that wing and think that somehow you're going to be a church. The mark of authentic Christianity, why this church did what it did, why it changed and revolutionized the Gentile nations was because it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you laid your knees and prayed before your God? When was the last time you cried out to the Lord? Prayer, prayer sometimes in the church has been, you know what it's been? It's been transition. We pray to transition to the next part of the service, right? Isn't it? Let's bow our heads. If we close my eyes, when I open it, I know the praising is going to be up here. Let's bow our heads. If I close my eyes, I open it, oh, PT is going to be back up here. Prayer becomes a transition versus actual power. You want to see God move in your life? Then get on your knees and pray. You want to see a movement happen? Get on your knees and pray. Don't just understand it. Pray it. Seek God in this. Ask him, how long, PT? Until he shows up. Until he shows up. 
until the peace of the living God falls upon you. And you go off in boldness. And you know, you know what happens. You know why? Because you step out and all of a sudden you're not afraid. All of a sudden you feel like you can do anything. All of a sudden you feel like you can say something and it just will happen. Sometimes we don't have that feeling. You know why? Because we have this feeling like, I'll do it, but I'm not so sure. Like, that I cover all my bases? That I, you know, that I answer that question correctly? We do all these things because why? You did it by the power of your flesh, not by the power of the Spirit. Yes, follow? All right. If anything is said about you, if anything you can pass on to your children, to the legacy that comes after you, let it be that the hand of God was on my father. Let it be that the hand of God was on my mother. Let it be said that my dad and my mom were people of prayer. Let it be said that our church is a place of prayer. If there's any legacy we can pass down, let it be that. And here's the last thing. The mark of authentic Christianity. They took God's mission personally. It wasn't something that they did with a group of people. They took it personally for their lives. They had gospel conversations wherever they went. It was intentional. It was something they prayed about. It was something they sought for. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, they motivated others by their lives. Look at verse 22, 26. News of this, news of this church, news of Antioch, news of what was happening here, reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Say, yo, Barnabas, go check it out. What's going on, right? And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He saw what God was doing. He looked at them and he saw the power of God working in this community. He saw them speaking of his name. He saw them laying down their rights, giving up their hearts, living out this mission personally in their lives. And he was encouraged. And he was glad. And he encouraged them, and he encouraged them all the more to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then you know what Barnabas did? He was like, hey, you know what? You know who would really, who, you know who would really be blessed by this? Saul. Yeah, that dude that everyone in Jerusalem was kind of scared of because, you know, he once killed everybody. Now he said he's a Christian, and now they don't know, right? So he's kind of like, where was Saul? He was back at Tarsus. You know why he was back at Tarsus? He just went home. He was like, well, I don't know. No one wants me, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to go home. So Barnabas went to get Saul. He wasn't Paul yet, by the way, right? He was still Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people. Disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And from this, from this movement right here, they motivated the life of Barnabas. Their life bore fruit. How do you know that your life and your Christian life is real and authentic? There's actual fruit that comes out of it. There's actual fruit that comes out of it. That when you're married, your marriage has fruit for God's kingdom. When you have children, your children are bearing the fruit of the legacy you're passing on. 
When you're single and you're discipling young men, young women, your disciples have fruit of what you're passing on to them. When you're serving and you're blessing and you're carrying out your call, there's fruit in what you're doing. You're not just running or ramming your way through it. You're not just trying to go through a program. But there is fruit that comes out of these things. It motivates. It encourages others. And that church was the church that turned Saul to Paul and sent him off. And nobody knew a single name of anybody in that church. You don't have to be a Paul. You could be a them. Right? You, you don't have to be successful. You just have to be faithful. You got to be faithful here. There was fruit in their lives. The real question is, in what you are doing in your everyday Christian life, is it bearing fruit in such a way that motivates others? You're a married couple among all your non-Christian friends. Do you bear fruit with them? You're raising children among a world that's raising godless children. Are you bearing fruit among them? You're working in workplaces that are filled with people who do not know God and actually detest Him. Are you bearing fruit in these areas? The callings and the ministry that you're a part of Serving. Are you bearing fruit with the people you are ministering to and serving with? What is the mark of authentic Christianity? That you would bear fruit. So, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that there's no minute, there's, I don't know how to hammer this on the head anymore, right? Next step, figure it out, get your calling, do something. Mark of Christian. Eventually, guys, you're going to have to move. Eventually, you're going to have to get out of this church. Eventually, you're going to have to live your Christian life somewhere. You can't just continue just to... Do you know why the church in Jerusalem scattered? It wasn't because like, they were like, ooh, time to be disciple makers. Right? They scattered because God was like, I told y'all to go out. Why do y'all keep gathering together? I told you to go to the ends of the earth. Why are you still here in the city? We, we love it here. Family, community, people I love. Nothing wrong with that. But God was like, mm, not my mission. Not my kingdom. The more you do that, you're building your own kingdom. So what do you do? He turned on the heat. I, I'm going to have to martyr somebody, right? Stephen had to die so they'd be scattered. My prayer, you know, you know what my prayer this week was? I said, God, give us enough suffering that we learn to obey you. Not too much that we die, right? But just give us incremental sufferings as we're slowly learning to obey you so that when the true suffering happens, we will not run. But we will be the salt and light of this earth. Right? I mean, isn't it true? Didn't COVID really just knock us up, knock the wind out of us? Didn't it just reveal what was truly in our hearts and our relationship with our God? 
Wasn't it sobering to recognize that? To know that I didn't have to go to church and then realize that when I didn't even go to church, I didn't even want to talk to God. Wasn't that just a wake-up call? It was for our leaders. Said, Whoa, what have we been doing? They all ran. It took us a whole year to just pray for all you guys to come back. So we're doing it different. Our focus this year is not more stuff, but that God will mature you into obedience, that he will give you just enough suffering to get you to the next step, and just enough suffering then to get you to the next step. So when true suffering happens, you won't run again. Let's pray.